And good morning, everyone. Good day, isn't it? Amen. We, uh, we are in a series called Tough Questions, asking questions that people are actually asking. And maybe people have asked you these questions, maybe uh, some of you work with, maybe a family member. And so we're diving into these questions that, that most people are thinking about. So we've tackled some issues uh, through this series on suffering. Why is there suffering in the world? Why is there evil? Can the Bible be trusted? Um, and so if you've missed any of them, uh, you can go on iTunes or you can go right online at livingwordag.com. You can get the CDs for those. And I would encourage you to get uh, those previous messages if you missed any. And, and, and hopefully it will answer some questions that maybe you're asking or maybe someone has asked you to help you to give a defense and the reason why you believe the way you believe about Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look, as you saw in the video, probably one question that is on everyone's mind. It's been a question that has been asked throughout the ages. It was asked in Jesus's day, and we're still asking that question today. And the question is, are we living in the last days? The answer it. Thank you, Ruth. I was going to answer that. That's you need to raise your hand, Ruth, if you're going to answer a question, okay? Um, are we living in the last days? And Ruth answered, yes, we are. We are living in the last days. So let's pray and go home. Okay, no. Uh, let, let, let's explain what this is because uh, many of you um, have heard people uh, predict either the end of the world or specifically the second coming of Christ because the Bible really talks about the end times and the second coming of Christ. And if you look at uh, Bible or biblical prophecy or the words that Jesus has used, many people have actually tried to predict the second coming of Christ. And we know through scriptures that the second coming of Christ will usher in the end times. So this is the next big event in biblical prophecy is, is Christ coming and taking his church. So we, we know this is a, is a big deal. And so we want to look at this. And what's interesting to me is so many people in history have tried to predict the second coming of Christ. How many of you lived in 1988? Raise your hand. Okay, you're all old like I am, okay? 1988, how many remember a book, if, 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 if you remember that far back? Uh, it was called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1988 by Edgar Wisnett. There's the book. How many remember that book? Anybody remember that book? Just me? Okay, two of you. Okay, great. Good. I'm glad I used that illustration. Um, here is a book that, try, that tried to predict 88 reasons why Jesus was coming back in, in, in 1988, and I just want to tell you, he didn't. So just for those that, whoo, did he come back? And I missed it. No, he's, he, he didn't come back. Um, people like Charles Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, he predicted that Jesus would come back, and I've got a picture of him for you there. He's, he predicted that Jesus would come back in 1914, which he didn't, 1915, which he didn't. How many lived in 1914? No, I'm just teasing. No, we won't have your original. 1914, 1915, he predicted Jesus would come back. 1918, because he kept saying, well, if he didn't come back, for, well, I made a miscalculation. So now it's going to be 1915. And then 1918, he said he'd return. Three strikes, you're out. No, he didn't come back in any of those times. His followers have tried to predict Christ's return five times up to 1994, and somehow they got smart and, and, and gave up. A couple years back, 
How many remember this one? A couple years back, there was this big discussion about the Mayan calendar. I remember that one. And, 12, and there's movies made about uh, 2012 and the Mayan calendar. And basically what that was, was the Mayan calendar, this ancient writings or the ancient literature that we had from the Mayan calendar, they had a calendar and it ended on December 21st, 2012. Um, did they know something that we didn't know? And well, we all know that that date has come and gone. So what is, what is, what is going on? Um, can we know for sure that we are truly in the last days? And, and if we are in the last days, should we be worrying about that? If, if we're in the last days, which, which I believe we are, which the Bible says that we are, is it something that we should uh, be concerned about and actually be thinking about as the church? One thing we need to understand is, is, is when Christ left this world, we began living in the end times. And because of this, the next great event Jesus said was that he would return, not as a little baby, but he would return to gather his church. So this is, this is a big, this is a big deal that if we read scriptures correctly, that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to rule and reign on this earth. And what I, what I want to do is I want to look at Matthew 24. And, and, and hear what Jesus says about the end times. And he gives us some insight on what will happen. He doesn't give us the exact date, but he gives us a sign. And there's reason why he gives us signs. And there's a reason why he doesn't give us the exact date. And he's going to finish that in this discourse in Matthew 24. So if you've got your Bibles or you want to read along with me, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 24. And first we're going to look at verses 3 through nine. And so here Jesus is sitting with his disciples and some of the disciples came to him privately. And this is what they asked. They said, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So there's a question. They were asking it when they were with Jesus. And Jesus answered, listen, listen to him carefully what Jesus said here. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming that I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. And you will hear wars and rumors of war. And, but, but you see to it that you are not alarmed by this. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. So let's understand the times. Let's understand the times that we're living in today. Today, in our world, we echo the words of Jesus. In our world today, religious tolerance is, is at an all-time high. Many, many uh, believing, it, it doesn't matter what you believe. They believe that all roads lead to the same place. In a recent study conducted, it was found that 57% of evangelical Christians believe that other religions can lead to eternal life. There's something wrong with that, people. If half the people that believe in Christ and follow him and say that they're born again and say that they're a follower of Jesus, believe that other religions say that, that you can find eternal life too. Something's wrong in the way we're reading the scriptures. See, the problem is this. The problem is not believing in something. The problem is we believe in everything. 
That's the problem. See, the result is a watered-down gospel, which Jesus is Savior among many others. So let me, let me give you some statistics here echoing um, these words. Since 1945, we've only had three weeks of peace in our world. Since 1945, there have been 250 major conflicts, the majority being civil wars within countries. 28 people die every minute due to starvation. One in eight go to bed hungry. Over the past two years, we've seen the most intense hurricanes ever recorded in the Philippines. There are 4.5 major earthquakes every day. 100 million Christians are persecuted in 65 countries. Since 70 AD, 70 million have been killed because of their faith in Christ Jesus. Just in the 20th century alone, 45 million have died because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Are we living in the last days? I would say we are. And here's the thing, people. We need to wake up. And I think the worst thing that can happen to the church is when we fall asleep. And Jesus said it will be just like the days of Noah. People will be given into marriage and, and, and just going about their lives. And then all of a sudden the end will come. And so we need to be aware that we are living in the end times. And as the body of Christ, we need to wake up to this fact and know that Christ is going to return quickly. And so what Jesus says about these things, he says, this would be the beginning of birth pains. And as, as, as astounding as these figures that we see right now before our very eyes in our world, there's something prophetic that is happening right before our very eyes today. So not only do we see the words of Jesus echoed in our, in our very world today, that, that these wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and so on and so forth are happening right before our very eyes. There is something that is happening right before our eyes that is specifically spoken about in Scripture prophetically spoken about in the Old Testament of what would happen, and we're seeing it in our day and age right now. So you ask, what is that, Pastor? Because we're seeing all the earthquakes. We're seeing all these things going on. We're seeing things intensify right before our very eyes. What is it? Well, let me tell you what it is. It revolves around a tiny country in the Middle East, just a bit larger than New Jersey. This country of Israel is strategically positioned for end-time prophecy, and end-time prophecy revolves around this small little country. Now, I thought I'd get an amen from Ruth Brooks there. Um, Ruth, you can say amen right there. She loves studying about Israel. But let me tell you why this is so important. I'm going to prove this, and I'm going to go further into chapter 24 of Matthew. So I want you to listen very closely, because this is probably going to be deep and it's going to be intense for for about 10 minutes so i want you to listen to this closely because this is pivotal for us to understand the end times and how crucial uh, our day and age is today if we go further in chapter 24 of matthew specifically in verse 32 and 33 jesus speaks of this very thing i want to read you matthew 24 32 through 33 he says now learn this lesson from the fig tree As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Now, what is Jesus talking about? I want want you to remind you now that within this context, Jesus is talking about end times. So what does he mean by the fig tree? Well, many scholars 
believe the fig tree, and I also do, believe that the fig tree symbolizes the restoration of Israel becoming a nation. Now listen to me closely. For years, this verse was obsolete because Israel was not a nation because of the destruction of Israel through their enemies, specifically Assyria and Babylon. So in this scripture, many times we see the fig tree as symbolized of Israel, the the, the nation. So Jesus says, when the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that it's summer. And what Jesus is saying is, that's my return. Summer is the return of Christ, is near. The fig tree is restored before summer, meaning the return of Christ is near. The fig tree being restored is the nation of Israel. Now, n- not only to, to, to echo the thoughts of Christ here in, in Matthew 24, but the prophet Ezekiel speaks about this very event. I, I want you to look at Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel was a prophet who prophesied about this very event some 500 years earlier. Now, you're going to ask, what is so pivotal about Israel and about the restoration of Israel for this reason. When Jesus physically comes back to earth, that is where he is going to rule and reign. Amen, Ruth? Ruth, are you with me this morning? You were good at the beginning. You're losing me now. Okay, good. Okay. So that's the important part, okay? Are are you with me? That's the important part. That's the whole reason why the restoration of Israel is so vital in end time prophecy. Now, let, let, let's understand the prophecy of Ezekiel here. Don't lose me here because some of you are zoning out already. This is so important. I want you to get this. Okay? Okay. Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 4, the valley of dry bones. Here's a vision that Ezekiel has of, of a valley of dry bones. And he said, the hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me out by the spirit of the Lord And set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now dropping down to verse 12 and 14. The Lord said, Therefore prophesy to them. And this is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people... I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. And I will bring you back to where? The land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I'm the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. And I will put my spirit in you and you will live and you will settle where? In your own land. And you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and that I have done it, declares the Lord. What is Ezekiel talking about here? The bones represent the whole house of Israel. God asks Ezekiel, can these bones come alive? Can Israel be restored? Israel was destroyed when they were exiled because of their rebellion against God. And God told them and prophesied that they would be restored. Now, the bones that were raised to life would be done in two stages. It would be a political restoration and a spiritual one. 
Now, now when Jesus came back, the, uh, those that lived among them, the, 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 the Israelites that lived among them, expected Jesus to come and raise them up politically, right? And Jesus says, no, you, you, I need to do a spiritual work within your heart. And what I want you to notice about this prophecy that Ezekiel's given, this prophecy was fulfilled during the reign of King Cyrus of Persia and that the Jews were allowed to return to Israel, not to set up a political nation. They were still owned by this other nation, but they were allowed to return to Israel. However, there is a duplicity within this prophecy, meaning this prophecy was twofold. In 19, listen, in 1948, Israel became a nation, and I believe this is one of the most important prophecies of our lifetime. They were allowed to go back to their land and establish a nation. This prophecy that was done 500 years earlier through Ezekiel was now coming to fruition through the nation of Israel. Why? Why is this so important? Let's go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. Jesus said, why? The summer is near Because the fig tree is being restored. Scriptures tell us that Jesus will return to Jerusalem and rule the nations. Now, Ezekiel in verse 12 says, God will bring them back to the land of Israel. What is incredible is how God has sustained this tiny little nation. It's amazing. Only God can do it. This nation sits in the most hostile area of the world. This nation has tried to get obliterated by so many different people over so many different times, yet this nation still exists. Why, you ask? God is there. God is in the midst of it because God will do what God needs to do because God is sovereign. And God will restore what has been broken to fulfill the prophecies that have been told about her Ezekiel 37 and Matthew 24 are being fulfilled right before our very eyes. Now, not, not only does Ezekiel predict Israel as a nation again, but he also predicts that the enemies will come against her, which we're seeing right before our very eyes. So let's go to the next chapter in Ezekiel 38, and let's read verses 1 through 6. It said, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Now you're going to see all these different lands. These are lands at the time. These are nations that were around Israel at the time. And we're going to contextualize them and we're going to modernize. And I'm going to tell you where these lands and what these nations are today. So don't get, don't get, don't trip over all the names here. These are names of nations at this time. And I'm going to, I'm going to update and I'm going to tell you what these nations are today and how they have to do with Israel and the, and the enemies against Israel today. So the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief priest of Meshech and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, this is what the Lord, the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaw and bring you out with the whole army, your horses, your horsemen, fully armed and great hordes with large and small shields of them, brandishing their swords, Persia, Cush and put will be with them to all the shields and helmets. Also Gomer and the troops of Beth to Gorma from the far north with all its troops and many nations with you. So let's, let's break this verse down. Magog is north of the Caspian Sea. This is where modern day Russia would be today. And Russia has supplied weapons to Israel's enemies. Gomer, Tograma, Meshach, 
Tubal make up modern day Turkey today. Persia uh, uh, is Afghanistan, Iran, Pakistan. Iran has made it clear that they want to wipe Israel off the map. The, the nation of Put is the modern day Libya. Cush is modern day Ethiopia, Samaria, Sudan. The common thread with all these nations except for Russia is they are all Islamic nations. Right now, we see these prophecies aligning themselves up. It is clear that through biblical prophecy, and Israel is at the center of this, that God is not done with her. And we can see that the Apostle Paul explains in Romans that there will be a remnant that will come to Christ. Right now, 2.7 million Jews have returned to the nation of Israel. And this is very, very interesting to me. I watched a BBC documentary and it was called um, The Future of Israel. Very, very interesting documentary. It wasn't Christian in nature at all. It was just what is the future of Israel? It's very, Israel is a very interesting nation and how they've held it together for thousands of years. And what's interesting about the nation of Israel right now, there is a group of Orthodox Jews who have returned waiting for the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? Waiting for the Messiah. Now, they're, they're not recognizing that Messiah right now as Jesus as the Messiah because he will return. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord. So it's interesting to me that, that in this very place, Jesus the Messiah will return and set up his reign. And we see the very words of Ezekiel coming true right before us. Not only the restoration of the nation that we saw in 1948, but the enemies that are coming against her as prophesied by the prophet Ezekiel. What's interesting, another prophet in the Old Testament is Zechariah speaks of this very thing in Zechariah 14 verses 3 through 4. And I want you to see what he says about the nations coming against Israel. And there's a defender that will come to save her. I love what he says in, in uh, Zechariah 4, uh, 14, verses 3 through 4. He says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. And, and, and on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of where? Olives, east of Jerusalem. And on the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and the other half moving south. See, what is interesting about this prophecy is this battle will happen. Zechariah is speaking of the battle of Armageddon. That great, it's not a movie that, that uh, I forgot, Bruce Willis started. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. Okay, that this battle is in Revelation chapter 16 where the enemies against God will come to fight her. And this is a huge valley in north central Israel. It, it, this is the only place in Israel where an army can march from west to east and not cross any barriers. This is when Christ will end the conflict and overcome evil and establish his reign. Where is this going to happen? It's going to happen in the land of Israel. And so I want you to catch something here. Jesus is coming back to a place that place is Israel. Israel as a country didn't exist on its own after being destroyed by Assyria in 586 BC and Babylon in 722 BC. It was prophesied that it would be restored. 1948 is huge. It is the end time prophecy. This is, this is the linchpin that we're, we're looking for. And so what we say is this. As the church, we say, okay, pastor, what are we to do with all this? 
that this is interesting. You gave us a lot of facts. Some of you have fallen asleep and now you've woken up, but you've given us a lot of facts. Pastor, what are we to do with all of this? Jesus answers this for us in the end of Matthew 24 in his discourse with his disciples. What are we to know? We, we, first of all, let me just say this. Time is drawing nigh. Things are wrapping up very, very, very quickly. Let me just tell you this. Let me just give you a side note here. With the advancement of the internet, the gospel is being spread at, 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 in a way that it's never been spread before because of the access of the, of the internet. You can be any place in the world and you can Google Jesus and find the gospel message about Christ anywhere. It's amazing how fast people are learning about Christ and how fast it's spreading through nations that have closed their doors to Jesus, but yet the gospel is spreading like wildfire through all these countries. And we know that Jesus, when the, when the gospel is preached to the uttermost parts of the world, the end will come. We're seeing all these things before us. But listen to the words of Matthew, Jesus, as, as Matthew records it in the end of chapter 24, verses 36 through 37. Jesus says this, However, the day and the hour are unknown. He, he says, about that day or the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it is in the days of Noah, it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So if you hear anyone predicting, if you hear anyone predicting the exact time, just slap them in the face and say, you're not biblical, okay? So just, there's no... For someone to sit there and say, here's the exact time when Jesus is coming. But let me say this, we're getting close. But here's where I want to warn you as your pastor. Here's where the warning comes. I believe that Jesus, the reason why Jesus warns us, because he says something in verse 42 that's very sobering to me. He says this. He says, therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the day of the Lord is coming. Jesus, be sober, stay awake, be alert, guard your heart, guard your life. See, let me say this about biblical prophecy. It's important that we understand biblical prophecy. It's important that we understand that we're in the end times. And I've known some people that have gotten sidetracked by biblical prophecy and they get all wrapped up in this. And when Jesus is coming and when the rapture is going to happen, whether it's going to happen before the tribulation or during the tribulation or after the tribulation, I just believe in the pan theory. It's going to pan all out at the end. But here's the one thing we do know. Jesus is coming back. And here's what he's coming back for. He's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle, without any blemish. He's coming back for his church. And he will rule and reign and the nations will know that Jesus is Lord. So we can sit there and try to predict all the you know, signs and everything else. And it's wonderful. We have the scriptures before us. But the reason why they're there for us is not to give us knowledge, not to puff up our heads, not for us to have an end times chart to say my end times chart is better than your end time chart, or not to set up camps or say I'm pre-trib you know, pre and you're post-trib and I'm better than you and let me get my scriptures and let's go to an end time prophecy conference and argue all day long. You know what I say to that? That's what I say to all that stuff. Because of this reason, not that it's wrong in itself to know those things, but the problem is we get so wrapped up and when Jesus is coming that I'm not guarding my heart today. 
then I'm not preaching the gospel today. The reason why Jesus says in verse 42, stay awake, is that it's interesting. Every time Jesus was answered the question uh, or asked the question about end times, he always turned it back around to evangelism. What are you doing today? Listen, we can be all wrapped up in what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or when Jesus comes back or whether it's, you know, we can get all wrapped up in these things. But the problem is, I end up losing focus of my very own life. What are you doing with Jesus today? Some of you are here today and you've heard the gospel message preached you over and over and over again. You've heard about who Jesus is, that he is Lord, that he's come to die a bloody death, to give his blood for you and I for our sins. That he rose from the grave three days later. That he now sits at the right hand of the God. And he did, he did that for you and I. And by faith, by us putting our trust in Jesus Christ, we can find forgiveness of our sins. That we can find newness of life. So many of us hear that message over and over again and we become numb to it. So the question I ask for you today is, what are you doing with it today? What are you doing with Jesus today? What good is it if we know all about the end times, but yet never share the message of Jesus Christ? What good is it if I know all the scriptures, which is good to know, it should encourage us. But if it does not, listen people, if it does not propel me to share that wonderful message of what Christ has done in my heart, then it's useless knowledge. What good is it if I know all the prophecies and I know what Ezekiel says and I know what all these people say, but yet, but yet, But yet, my neighbor next door to me has not once heard me say, do you know about Jesus? Do you know what he did for you? Are you hearing me? See, that's what's more important. And so for you and I today, yes, we need to know we're living in the end times. Yes, I want you to, I want you to, If you see any documentary on Israel, I want you to watch it. I want you to understand the world news. I want you to see what's going on right before your very eyes. But this is what it should, this is what it should cause you to do. It should spur you on to tell others about Christ. Let me just end with this question. How would your life change if you knew Jesus was coming back this afternoon? If you knew for absolute certain that Jesus would return this afternoon, how would your life change? That is the reason why Jesus did not give us the exact time or date. Because we should be living that way every single day. I had a professor in school. I loved him. He's a great man of God. And we would start off our class with prayer and we'd start off our class with singing a song. And Brother Elliot, sometimes our class would break out in a revival where we didn't even get to teach him because the Spirit of God would drop in that class and we would just continue to pray and seek God's face. And I would love those days because then I would knew he'd push the test a little further out so I could have another day to study, okay? Nothing spiritual on my end. But, um, but what I loved about Brother Elliot, he would always say this. He would always say this. I don't remember a whole lot of all my professors said, but I do remember this one thing that Brother Elliot would say. He would always say this. He would say, your test is going to be on this date. And he'd always finish it by saying this. If the Lord tarries. He would always say, I'll see you on Monday, class. 
It's Friday, class. He goes, I'll see you guys on Monday if the Lord tears. And I always would ask myself, why does he always, he, he always finishes with if the Lord tears, if the Lord tears. Brother Elliot lived his life as if the Lord would come back at any moment. That's what I loved about him. He was anticipating, he was ready, and his life reflected that. His life reflected his relationship with Jesus and how important that was to him, that he was ready at any moment. You see, Jesus said that these signs should not catch us off guard. You know the reason why they catch us off guard? It's because we're not prepared. We are not ready. Church, let's be ready. Let's prepare our hearts. That's the reason, that's one of the reasons why we take communion. We're taking communion because we remember what Christ has done for us to prepare our hearts. But also, we're looking forward to his what? To his return. That he's coming back for a spotless bride without stain or wrinkle. So I want to pray for you this morning. And you might be here today. And you might not be prepared. And you may say, Pastor, I'm really not prepared. Well, let me just tell you, you can be prepared. Put your trust and your faith in the one who saves, and that's Jesus Christ. Put your hope in the one who's done for you what you could not do for yourself, and that's to die for your sins. And so as we pray this morning and as we take communion, I want us to bow our hearts, and I want us to examine our lives, and I want to examine our hearts, and if there's anything in our hearts or in our lives that ought not be there, then let's give that to the Lord. If you're here today and you've not put your trust in Jesus Christ and you've, he's not saved you and, and you haven't put uh, your, your hope in his saving grace, well, you can do that today. It's by faith that you do that. You believe on Jesus. He hears your prayers. Anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. So as we pray, you put your hope in Jesus Christ. Let me just say this. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion, but you do have to be a member of God's family. So as we take communion this morning, Just prepare your hearts before him and and everyone's welcome to take it who has asked Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior and by all means. And and if you haven't done that and you say this prayer with me right now and you believe on Christ right now, by all means, feel free to take communion and recognize that it's only through the blood of Christ that we can be saved. It was body that was given for us that we might know God and also that he might cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we can look forward to his return and knowing that we will be by his side, that he's coming for us, his church. Amen? So let's bow our hearts and let's pray. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to take communion, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that, Lord, we don't have to worry about all the stuff that's going on in this world because you're in control. For the follower of Jesus Christ, you've given us these signs not to cause us to worry, but to anticipate, to be ready to be sober-minded, to, to, to be able to share that gospel message with that anticipation that you are coming back. It should give us a fervor and, and, and an expectancy to know that you are coming back. So God, I pray, pray that you would just prepare our hearts today. For anyone that's here who has not come to you, who has not bowed their heart to you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that they would do that now, that they would put their trust in you. And I thank you that by your grace, And through our faith in you, God, we can be saved. That we can find forgiveness for our sins and not be alienated from God any longer. And so, Lord, we put our trust in you today. We thank you for this time, this sacred time as we come before you. 
And we recognize, Jesus, that you are coming again. So, Lord, we give you the praise and all the glory and all the honor that's due your name this morning. So just prepare our hearts today. Thank you that if we confess our sin, you are faithful, you are just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, no matter what it may be. We thank you for that, and we're grateful for the cross. In Jesus' wonderful name, we ask these things. And all God's people said, amen. The ushers are going to serve you. We will take communion together at the end, so please wait to the end before you take communion. And uh, just worship with the worship team as they lead us in worship. God bless you as the ushers serve you this morning. Amen.